there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The definition of work is an activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. What is the point of this work? The point of this work, for a lot of people, is to get more, to learn more, to understand more to get more knowledge. But I'd like to share with you something that I think is important about this work. In fact, very important about this work because where I see it falling on people makes me think that we need to shed some light on this area. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6 and then 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their full reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Okay, now verses 16 through 18. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay you. Now this is the point. The point of this work is where this work falls in us. And unfortunately, if we allow it to fall for very long on the intellectual center without getting the emotional center involved, really involved, what happens is we turn into hypocrites. We start to do the work to be seen by men. We do the work to be seen by our own false personality. We do the work to gratify ourselves. And we don't do the work for the point of the work. We do the work for ourselves. So that's why I read that. The two places that the work can fall, one connects the work to the self, making metanoia impossible. Metanoia, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the word, means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. It's a big word. It's a Greek word. In Christianity, it has been translated as repentance. But it's so much more than repentance. It is really changing your mind. It is complete, whole change of mind so that your mind is no longer the mind that it was. So that you have a different mind. If you have a different mind, all of your thoughts are different. All of your reactions are different. That is what metanoia means. Metanoia is made impossible if we allow the work to continually fall on the wrong part of us, the self part of us, the, the false personality part of us, makes us worse while we're thinking that we're better. So while we're allowing the work to fall on this wrong part of us, it makes us think that we're getting better. 
we feel like we're making progress. When actually, we're getting worse, we're becoming even more hypocritical, we're becoming even more deceptive than we started off. In fact, we're more asleep than we were when we found the work. So the work can be very dangerous in this way if it is allowed to fall in the wrong place. And that's why there's an oral tradition with the work. See, everything that we give in podcasts is very general. The stuff that you can find in almost any book about the work anywhere, it's not anything new, it's not anything secret, it's not anything special. Where the real work happens is between us, between you and I, between you and the other people here. That's where the real work starts. That's what happens when we really employ it. As long as we're just listening about it or reading about it, the work is falling on the wrong part of us. It's when we start to actually interact in a group or with a teacher. That's when it pierces the wrong part of us and the wrong part of us starts to bleed and the wrong part of us starts to leak and the wrong part of us starts to run away. That if we hold at that point, if we hold our ground and we stay, at that point the work then can pierce through that outer membrane and touch the real of us. And when that happens, it starts to work in us. It starts to do the work. Because we can't do the work. This part of us, this membrane that's covering who we really are, can't do the work. It thinks it can, and that's what makes it dangerous. It thinks it can do, but it can't do. All it can do is react. And it does that very well, predictably, mechanically. But this other part of us that really needs to change, that really needs to grow, that really needs to be fed, that part of us doesn't get much of the real work because we play on the membrane. We play on the surface. We never get down to it. You don't get down to it with the teacher. If you do and you start to be offended and you start to be irritated and you start to be hurt and you start to be wounded, you run away. That's not. And then you go find another teacher who won't wound you, who will powder you, who will soothe you who will tell you, oh, oh, yes, you're right. You've just shot yourself in the head. Well, actually, you should have shot yourself in the head. Actually, you, you, you shot yourself in the foot. You won't be able to go any further. If you'd shot yourself in the head, you'd have been better off because then you wouldn't have gone anywhere. You would have stayed right where you were and you would have fought the good fight. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these two different places. And the point of the work, the point of the work is a sharp point, And it is to pierce this membrane of false personality to get to something real or more real in you, to feed that, to nourish that, to encourage that, to make that active and to make this membrane of false personality more and more passive all the time. It's a very painful process. If the work lies in the intellectual center, it's in will call. You know what will call is? Will calls you, you, you call up Pizza Hut and you say, I want a pizza. And they say, okay, well, it'll be ready for you when you get here. It'll be in will call. So you say, I will call for it. I'm not going to have it delivered. I will call. Or you can do it with orders for other things at stores. Will call. And so if the work lies in the intellectual center, it's in will call. And it remains there gathering dust bunnies that we spend our life chasing. What are dust bunnies? Well, when you move the sofa, the chair, after it hasn't been moved in a long time, the dust bunnies are those little balls of dust that grow under there, that just appear under there. And you can sweep them all away, but then somehow they all come back. You know, you can throw them all away, but they all appear again. Some other time when you move the sofa or you, or you move this or you move that. And what happens is 
if, if the work is allowed to go into the intellectual center, stay in the intellectual center, then it gathers, it makes these little dust bunnies. It starts to make them everywhere. And then we, and now dust bunnies, if the wind blows it off, there's a slight breeze. If you just walk by too quickly, you know, they'll move. And so we can go chasing them around. And what I find people do with the work is they go chasing these dust bunnies around with words and ideas. But they are not actually getting to the point. They're not allowing the point of the work to pierce that membrane of false personality, to pierce that membrane of intellect, and to get to the real part of us, to get to something emotional, so that we start to actually manifest some real goodness in our lives, some genuine love. Instead of picking this person or that person apart because they didn't know how the law of three works or they don't know the law of seven, instead of picking them apart, we take them in and we love them. Instead of showing them where, where they're wrong, we show them where they're right and we bring them along. But this is not what I see happening. And it's not what I see happening because most people don't do that. It's a very unfortunate thing, but it's nothing new and I'm not the only one who thinks so. I just happen to notice this, observe this, and it's distressing. So I'm talking about it. We must seek and find by what means we can be influenced by the work. We have to find out how we can be influenced by the work. If it just falls on us, like it falls on everyone, well, big deal. God makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad. He makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. No discrimination whatsoever. The work is like that. It doesn't discriminate. It just falls on people like rain. It just falls on people like sunshine. But how they take it, that makes all the difference. If you're like a block of clay and the sun comes out, then you're hardened by it. But if you're like a block of wax and the sun comes out, then you're softened by it. So where it falls on you determines what it does for you, what it does to you, how you, how you respond to it. So we need to find out how to make it, how to get into a place where it can influence us in the best possible way. People are ordinarily influenced by life. Life is what influences people. So when people come to the work, they look at the work and they say, oh, this is great. I could teach this or I could, oh, I could, my wife could use this or my husband could use this. Boy, the kids could learn this. They'd really be a lot better off. They need to externally consider me more and they need to stop internally considering and they need this and they need that and they could be good householders and stop being such slugs. We've got, we're just full of ordinary life ideas about the work. And if we say we're not, we're liars. Because everybody's got a false personality, and that's what false personality does with the work. And if you say it doesn't, you do not know yourself. You have not observed yourself. And so I'm not going to listen to you because why would I listen to someone who hasn't observed themselves? They have nothing to say. What they had to say is what I could say myself without observing myself. And what I've said a million times without observing myself. You can hear that anywhere. You can read it anywhere. You can read it in the papers. You can see it on TV. You can see it in the movies. That comes from everywhere in life. We are ordinarily influenced by life. Only when we really unite with the work does the whole mind begin to change, metanoia. And that's what needs to happen for us. Our whole mind needs to change. We need to be totally, completely renewed. We need to be transformed, absolutely, completely transformed, because we are wrong-minded, completely wrong-minded and wrong-hearted. What is the one center that is absolutely not under our control? The emotional center. And so we're wrong-hearted. We, our emotional center is wrong. It's all wrong. It's all negative. Oh, but I love. Yeah, right. For the moment. But how quickly that love turns to something else when you don't get your way. It must be clear 
that ideas are more real than facts. To the false personality, facts are more real than ideas. The idea of love is a beautiful idea. The fact that you're a jerk just blows that idea right out of the water, doesn't it? So for us, facts are more real than ideas. But what we need to have this change of mind makes ideas more real than facts. The mind can't deal with ideas rightly until we see their reality. The reality is the idea, not the fact. Facts are, are transformable, changeable, mutable. Facts can change. It's sunny today, it's cloudy today. It's raining, it's not raining. Those are facts. They can change. It's hot, it's cold. Those are facts. They can change. An idea, the idea of love is immutable. It's transcendent. It's beyond fact. It is a permanent thing. It is a real thing. But we don't see it that way because we see from our minds, which are all wrong because we're wrong-minded. And that's what needs to be changed so that we can start to see the reality of ideas and the transitoriness of facts so that we don't rely on facts as much as we rely on ideas. Can you see the power it would have in your life if you could hold to the idea no matter what the fact said? Now, you'd have to do that in a higher way than in just a mechanical way. You can't do that mechanically. It doesn't work. Ideas have a hierarchy. Without preparation, we can't pass from one order to another. Esoteric ideas that are taken literally can be very dangerous. And so, there are not a lot of esoteric ideas that are available to people that are dangerous. But even the ones that are available to people can be very dangerous. And how can they be dangerous? Well, we use them on other people. We, we take an esoteric idea and we say, that's right, you should do that. And we separate ourselves and we make ourselves feel superior because I know that and you don't know that. Well, I know the Enneagram and you don't know the Enneagram and I know it better than you and that makes me a higher man than you and so therefore I'm better than you, I'm superior to you and therefore you should shut up and only listen to me and do what I tell you to do. And that's what I see happening in the work. And I look at that and I say, that's insane. That is all wrong. We're wrong-minded. That's all in the intellect. There's no real connection with real emotion, higher emotional center there. With a connection with higher emotional center, that could not happen. It could not be. You would bite your tongue off rather than say the things that people say to one another if you were properly connected. Ideas have a transforming power. Work ideas transform our whole way of thinking from one level to another. It doesn't do it all at once. That's the problem. It doesn't do it all at once. It does it little by little because we can't take it all at once. Any more than we could go from 112 degrees to 50 degrees below zero, just walk from one room to another and, and think that we would be able to stand that. We wouldn't. It just wouldn't work for us because that's not how our organisms work. And we have to understand what it's like here where we are, not what it's like somewhere else in some imaginary place where people can go from 112 degrees to 50, degree, 50 degrees below zero and, have, and just make an instant transition without any bad side effects. Well, maybe that happens in comic books. Maybe that happens in movies. Maybe that happens in computer-generated computer graphics here and there, but it doesn't happen in real life. And this is the life that we're living in, and this is the life that we need to deal with. We're under 48 orders of laws, and we need to deal with where we are not where we would like to be or where we imagine that we are. Let's take, for instance, the simple idea that man is asleep. This idea cannot be properly received until we ourselves see through self-observation that we are asleep. Man is asleep. Well, that's great. What does that mean? It means nothing. Oh, all those people are asleep. They're all machines. Look at them all out there. They're all a bunch of idiots. Yes, but you're asleep. 
Well, no, I'm not asleep. See, I can see that those people are asleep. And I know that man is asleep, so therefore I'm not asleep. No, 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 no. You have not observed yourself and seen that you are asleep. If you observe yourself and see that you're asleep, you don't start saying, whoa, well, they're all asleep. Whoa. You are so dumbfounded by the realization of your own sleep that your most, the most important thing in your life becomes waking up. Not waking other people up, not pointing to other people who are asleep, but realizing your own sleep, the danger of that sleep, and then striving, making effort to get out of that, to arouse yourself, to wake yourself, setting alarm clocks, getting things going so that you can begin to start, you start to pray fervently. I wish to remember myself. If I could just remember myself, then I could remember to wake up. I could remember to, to shake myself at this at this point. I could remember to stop being mechanical. I could remember to start thinking of the work ideas more. This is what happens when the work pierces, when the point of the work pierces through the membrane of false personality and starts to reach the real of you or the more real of you and starts to nourish that. Then these are the things that happen. You stop turning to the outer things and fixing people out there. And you start concerning yourself with your own development, your own growth, your own sleep, not their sleep. When you begin to see that you are really asleep through self-observation, that you are really genuinely asleep, I mean really asleep, when you begin to see that, then you can understand more readily that man is asleep. And when you do, you're not judgmental at all. You're filled with compassion because you understand intimately what sleep really is. And you know that they are absolutely at the effect of it, and so are you. And you may be a little less at the effect of it because you've realized it now, and you've begun to separate, but that even gives you more compassion for them because they haven't got that. Until we realize that we ourselves are asleep, we will take man asleep in a negative form, feeling our superiority, judging them, ridiculing them, that kind of thing, just negative emotions. Nothing that speaks of a man awake. Those emotions don't speak of a man awake. Those emotions speak of a man asleep. And if you realize you're asleep, you are going to curb those emotions. You're not going to allow those emotions. You're going to try and not express negative emotions. The great danger of this work is parroting the ideas rather than digesting them. Anybody can read and memorize and parrot. Anybody can understand intellectually to know. It's not really understanding, it's just knowing. Anybody can know about these ideas. Anybody can do that. Anybody could stand up here and talk about these ideas. Okay, not anybody. But anybody can stand up and, and, and talk about these ideas who can stand up and talk about ideas. Anybody can do that without ever having the ideas touch them. Ideas don't ever have to... I know this. I've been doing this for years. I stood up and talked about these ideas 30 years ago, and the ideas barely even touched me. They were just good ideas to talk about. They made good talks. It's not that way now. I don't care whether they make good talks or not. I don't care if you like this or not. The important thing now is to understand this in my own being, for you to understand this in your own being, for you to let it pierce the membrane of false personality and get to something real in you. That's what's important now. I don't care how many people are listening. If only one person is listening, really listening, and allowing the ideas to fall on the right part of them, then it's worth it. And guess what? I am listening. So it's all worth it because I am listening. Because I edit these podcasts and I listen to them. I listen to the man who is speaking. Not as I'm listening to me, but as I'm listening to someone else. 
I separate myself and I listen and I'm fed, I'm enriched. And that's the name of the game. People go forth into life and return in death. Out of every ten, three prolong their lives by clean living. Three hasten their death by their excesses. Three compromise their lives by the attachment they have to them. And only one stays alive until his term because he is not attached to it. That's the Tao Te Ching, book two, chapter 50. And that is what we do. One out of ten. That's pretty generous in my experience. One out of ten is pretty generous. I talked to a Muslim yesterday and he said that some sheikh said that only one in a million returned to God. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary. Then the Christians have their 144,000. That's kind of scary too. Not many people do this. Nine out of ten are parrots. Nine out of ten people doing this work are parrots. They aren't doing the work, they're parroting it. Polly want a negative emotion? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that exercise. There's some internal consideration. Uh-oh. You know what I mean? It's like nine out of ten people, that's what they do. But the thing is, is that we don't know it when we're doing it. But if you, will, if you will take a look at yourself, you will see that you are one of those nine. I am one of those nine. Now, the trick is not to be one of those nine ten times out of ten. If one time out of ten I cannot be the parrot, then it's that one time that I want to notice. It's that one time that I want to be there for that. That's what we have to deal with. I'm not, look, this is not about people are wrong. I'm not about, you know, nine out of ten people doing the work are parrots, so therefore they're wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we are all parrots. And if one out of ten times we cannot be a parrot, then let's get on with it. Let's get the hook bill of that parrot, pierce the membrane of false personality, and get through to something real. And we can do that. Superficial knowledge of the work helps no one. Yet it's a necessary first step. To understand this work is different than knowing about it. It's not the same thing. I know people who know all about this work, who know it much better than I do, and I do not want to be them. And I know people who know almost nothing about this work, and I would much rather be them. Why? Because the people, some of the people that I know who know almost nothing about this work have the kind of a heart that I want to have. And some of the people that I know who know everything about this work don't have anything like the heart that I want. They're not manifesting the goodness that this work is about that the truth is about. They're putting the truth above goodness. And we need to put goodness above the truth. Can you see the difference, the change in the world? If your mind could change and you could put goodness above truth, if you could put doing right above being right, saying what was right, making other people wrong, finding out what was right, if you could put doing goodness above that, do you have any idea how much the world would change? Your world would change. Just that one little thing in the world would alter everything. That would be a complete transformation, change of mind, metanoia. We're rarely influenced by work ideas and ordinary affairs of life. Influences of life are more powerful. Folks, I hate to tell you this, but if you think it's any other way you're dreaming, you're, you're in imagination. The influences of life are more powerful than the work, than the influences of the work ideas. That's why we have to struggle. That's why it's an effort. If it wasn't, there would be no effort. We'd just all, the ideas would all fall on us and we'd just grow like flowers. Oh, look at me, I'm a pansy. Oh, well, wrong choice. Look at me, I'm a rose. Oh, wrong choice. Look at me, I'm, I'm something big and tough and masculine. 
I know that's that crazy laugh, and there it goes. Well, I'll, I'll cut that out on the on the editing. Don't want anybody to know I laugh like a loon. <laughs> Without aim, the work can't influence our lives, and we remember we remain open to life influences. Our problem is is that life is powerful. The influences of life are very powerful, and they will swallow us up unless we have an aim. If we have an aim, at least we have like an anchor. An aim is like an anchor in the sea. So the sea gets wild and crazy and the wind blows and the waves get high. But if you've got a good anchor and a good line and that's well placed, you don't have to worry about it. Even though you're battered around and blown about, you still have your anchor, your aim. Do you understand? What I mean when I say, do you understand? is, Oh, I understand. That's what I really mean. Oh, I understand. It's just like an anchor. If we remember our aim in life, we reach a point of splitting. And this is the point. Life makes us behave mechanically, but our aim prevents us momentarily. So life, it's like the wind blows and the waves are high and life is throwing us around. But our aim, just momentarily, we have this connection and we can see that life is not real, that our aim is real, that what we are connected to is real, and that what this bouncing and blowing is in life is transitory, that it will stop, that it will change. But the aim and what we're anchored to will not change because it's real, because it's a real idea. It's not a fact. It's not a fact of life. It's a real idea, and we're anchored to that real idea. And even if we can only see it in glimpses, just flashes of it in the storm, so what? A flash is a flash. A glimpse is a glimpse. A moment is a moment. And those moments strung together help us to awaken ourselves, help us to awaken to the work, help us to awaken to our true selves. This gives acknowledgement and power to work ideas. Yes, it'll fail. The anchor, e even if we only remember it temporarily for a moment, then we fail to remember it. The waves are so high. You know, it's like Peter gets out of the boat and he says, well, if it's you, then command me to come to you walking on the water. He says, well, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden the waves got high, the wind blew, and he went, oh, and he feared and he started to sink. And that's how we are. For a moment, we can walk on it. For a moment, we have the idea firmly. We have the aim firmly in mind. We're connected to it. And for a moment, we're on top of the, the stormy water. We're on top of the waves. We're on top of the wind. None of it bothers us. But then in an instant, we fear, we lose our aim, and we start to sink. So we're going to fail. But what was Peter's failure? Was it really a failure? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus said to him. But he pulled him up, didn't he? Because... Peter reached out for something higher and said, help. When he lost his aim, he cried for help. And something higher reached down and lifted him up. This is the same thing the work will do for us if we're sincere, if we're genuine. As we acknowledge the power of the work ideas, even if we fail, we still had a taste of what it was like not to be entirely mechanical. In that storm, you had a taste of what it was like to be impervious to the storm, impervious to the waves, to be able to walk on water. Just a taste of that is huge compared to constantly being mechanical in life. Feeling the difference between the two orders of ideas, life ideas and work ideas, that's very valuable because now you have a choice. You can choose which you would rather wish to be in. You may not be able to choose to be in one more than the other, but you can choose which you wish to be in more than the other. And you can wish work ideas more than life ideas. It's better to have an aim for two hours than to have no aim at all. If you can have an aim for a day, it's better than having no aim at all. And it's better than having an aim for two hours. You can have an aim for a week. Lucky you. You've been working. It's not that easy. 
Mental effort is needed to ponder the work ideas and keep our aim from becoming mechanical. Any aim will become mechanical if it's not nourished and fed and cared for. Any aim. I don't care what it is. Any aim will become mechanical if it's not nourished. It must be constantly supplied with ideas, nourishment. Aim is kept going through this new supply of thought and insight. Slowly we come under different, a different order of ideas. With negative emotions, it's possible to do something. It must be done from your understanding, not mine or someone else's. See, with negative emotions, you can do something, but you first have to observe yourself and see your negative states. See what they do to you. See what they do to others. You can't just take my word for it. Oh, yeah, stop expressing negative emotions. Okay, well, I'll stop expressing negative emotions. How are you doing? Oh, I've stopped all expression of negative emotions. <laughs> but as soon as you observe yourself, you see that you didn't stop all expression of negative emotions. You just started to label them differently. You just started to lie better. You just started to deceive yourself better. But when you actually observe yourself and see your negative states and see that your life that your very love, that your beloved is negative states, that your God is negative states, that who you worship and adore and serve is negative states. When you really see that, you don't just pop off with, oh, yes, well, I've stopped the expression of negative emotions. That's like being shot with an elephant gun. It stops you dead in your tracks when you can see who and what you are, how much you really love negative emotions. <clears throat> Gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. You must see through self-observation that negative emotions are useless, that they're harmful to you and others. You must realize your slavery to negative emotions rather than parrot the idea. Don't express negative emotions. Just don't express negative emotions. That's all. Just, well, don't express. Well, why are you being negative? Just stop it. You don't do that when you know your own self. You don't do that to someone else. You don't say that to other people because you know what it takes and you're not so glib and parody. Eh, Polly want a negative emotion? You stop all that nonsense. You stop telling people where they're wrong and how they need to get this right and how they need to get that right and how they need to fix this and fix that. You start to have a little compassion when you understand the state that you're in and you begin to understand the state that they're in. Collecting work ideas and sayings is necessary but dangerous if it only stays there. Inner development and freedom don't come from knowing the ideas. This is not about knowing the ideas. We must understand them. It must pierce the membrane that knows. The false personality knows about the ideas. It must pierce through that, and they must fall on something real inside of us, more real inside of us, where they can begin to be nourished, where they can begin to nourish, where they can be protected, and where they can protect. Pierce the membrane. Get through to the more real part of you. To have a real point in the work, you must understand the ideas internally, practically. And when you do that, when you begin to understand, even in the slightest, these ideas, practically, in a real way, there's a shift. There's something changes in you. You stop being so critical of others. I'm not saying you stop being critical. I'm saying you are less critical. You are less critical of yourself. You become less critical and more compassionate. It's what happens when it really starts to fall on a more real part of you. Make a temporary aim not to be negative towards some person. Don't consent to mechanical, mechanical negative thoughts and feelings about that person. Don't go with them, the thoughts or the feelings. Don't listen to them. Find some irritating things in yourself if you can. Especially, the best, the best thing is find the same irritating things in yourself. So if you find something irritating about someone, if you really want to work, find the same irritating things in yourself.
Oh, but they're not there. Then work a little harder. Because if they're irritating you in that other person, they're there. They're in you. Or else they could not irritate you. It's amazing to me that things that used to irritate me to no end about someone, when I find it in myself and see it there and accept it as part of me, suddenly it doesn't bother me and the other person anymore. I understand. I don't know about their irritating things. And I don't know about my irritating things. I now understand, oh, that's what they're going through. Oh, man, I feel for them. You've now got a friend instead of an enemy. There's only one way to love your enemies. Don't have any enemies. Make them friends. Then you're standing in the work where it can reach you and change you. Make this clear-cut aim. Try to stay conscious in it for some time. See what results you get. Nine out of ten of you will not do it. But the one who does is going to have a change, a metanoia. Something is going to change in them. And that's what this is for. This is for that one person. Are you going to be that one person? Are you going to make this your aim? To find some person, to pick some person that normally you're irritated by and to make it your goal to hold this aim for some time, maybe just a few hours or a few days, to look at this, to not go with the negative mechanical emotions and thoughts about that irritating person. And, and then to take it a step further and find the same irritating things in yourself. Right, if you're willing to do that, see for yourself if it doesn't make a difference. If it doesn't make a difference, okay, I'm willing to be wrong. But prove it. Verify it. See if it's true or not. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.